Restoration? Yes, I do come to you from uh, the city of trees, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and yes, I do minister at a very white church. And so I actually grew up in a Chinese church in Atlanta, and so it's wonderful to look out and, and see many, many faces, Asian faces, white faces, um, black faces, wherever that you come from. And, and um, I'm we very thankful to be here. Actually, I was joking with Pastor Dan beforehand. I was like, I was preaching in Korean churches in Atlanta. I preach in predominantly white churches. I'm not sure what I'm going to do today. So, um, well, thank you. And thank you for the hospitality of the limbs for, for putting me up. I'm very grateful to be here and bring God's word to you. Um, today, our text comes from Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. I am very excited for what the Lord is doing, what the Spirit is doing in this church, particularizing this church, restoration, and it is my prayer that God would bless this church uh, through his word as we talk about contentment and learning that. Um, so let's look at the word together. I will read it for us. This is Philippians 4, verses 10 to 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, your people, and we ask for your help. Lord, where we are struggling, our worries, our distractions, we're confused, we feel lost, we're burdened, weighed down. Lord, we pray that you would meet us where we are. Would you bring your word into our lives and speak truth into our lives that we might be conformed more and more into the image of of Christ. Lord, we confess that we struggle with discontentment. We ask, Lord, that you would fill us with more of Christ, Lord. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see in this time and faith to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Secret secrets are no fun unless you share with everyone. Have you heard this little jingle before? You know, you've probably experienced this growing up. You remember, if you think about being on a, on a playground, you just imagine being with little cho um, other children growing up, and you see all your friends whispering in the corner excitedly. They're laughing, giggling. What's so funny? What are you guys talking about? Oh, we can't say. It's a secret. Oh, if you didn't care to know before, now you really want to know. Uh, your interest is piqued. Um, so you persist. You try to get them to spill the beans, right? And hiding their secrets from you makes you all kinds of nosy. You know, secrets can be as innocent as little children on the playground, or it can be as important as billion-dollar trade secrets. If you think about 
Coca-Cola, that's where I'm from, Atlanta, Georgia, Coca-Cola. You know, what's in that secret recipe? Well, what are those 11 herbs and spices in the Colonel's recipe? You can cajole them all you want, but they weren't going to tell you. It's backed up by expensive lawyers and bomb-proof bank vaults and big insurance plans. And then sometimes secrets are so outlandish that you're not sure if you want to know about these secrets. You walk past uh, the grocery checkout line. You just look at the tabloids. Oh, Tupac's alive? Again? Do I really want to know where he is today? Eh, maybe not. Well, the Apostle Paul has a secret. And except it's actually really important, and he's not hiding it at all, and he's happy to share with any and who, whoever wants to hear about it. And so what is the secret, and do you want to know? Today, in our passage, Paul talks about the secret of being content. That's a pretty rare thing, if you think about it in your life. How many people do you actually know to say, so-and-so is content with life? It doesn't matter how rich or how poor, whether you have good health or not. Imagine most of us, including myself, we struggle with discontentment. You know, a few verses right before this passage, Paul's addressing something that's very similar. He talks about anxiety, calling us not to be anxious, but everything by prayer and supplication, making our requests known to God. And he promises us to give us a kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. I mean, it's pretty big already, right, that in itself. But Paul here, Paul wants to address discontentment too. There's one pastor that says this pretty effectively. He says, if anxiety is about asking the question of, will I have enough to survive? Will I have enough to meet my needs and my family's needs? And doubting whether that's going to happen or not. Then discontentment is asking Will I have enough, do I have enough to be happy, to satisfy my desires? Will I ever be truly happy? I'm thinking maybe not, at least not yet. There's something that Paul had to face. You see, he was in prison here in this letter. He was locked up, and the, the church that he was writing to, they were, they were suffering as well. They were suffering for the sake of the gospel. They were facing opposition. And the temptation to discontentment is a very real temptation that you and I face all the time. But before we get to the secret, I think to understand the secret that Paul is speaking of, let's look at a little bit of the context that he's writing this in. Um, this is coming at the end of the letter where Paul is writing to the Philippians about the gift that they sent him by way of a, a brother named Epaphroditus. But it's kind of strange, just right off, we, off the bat here, it's kind of strange how it's worded. Um, at first, it kind of sounds like Paul's saying, thanks for your gift, but I was happy without it anyway. I mean, can you imagine if they made all this effort to get this gift to you, that, that sending one of their own brothers, and, and he almost dies on this journey to get this gift to you, and, and Paul's got the nerve to say, oh, that's nice, I didn't really need it. Um, thanks, but no thanks. You know, the, the part of the letter can come off that way, and it's confused people about Paul's attitude and uh, what is going on. 
I don't think that's what's going on at all. Um, I think what Paul was going on is that Paul, not that he was unthankful for the gift, but that Paul had a purpose. Uh, he had a mind for talking about discontentment here uh, before speaking about the gift in verses 14 and 20. He doesn't want to think, them to think that he was somehow resentful, waiting for their gift until he got there, but that Paul's joy and his contentment was resting in something outside of, uh, outside of today's circumstances. He wanted to remove that and say he was very much content and with his situation. And now that he has received his gift, he rejoices greatly. And he wants them to know that even more so than getting the gift, that he rejoices that they were concerned about him. Essentially, Paul is saying, I rejoice in you and what God is doing in you, that you are concerned for me, not merely your gift. My joy is in you and in your fruitfulness, not your cash. And that, just, as we just stop there for a second, that deserves some reflection in our day and age. As we think about our relationships with people, you know, what is it that motivates us? You ask yourself, where is my heart in this relationship? You know, unfortunately, we can treat people not as people to be concerned about or concerned about their welfare, their spiritual state, but it can be merely transactional. It's all about what they can give me. It's about what they can do for me. But if we're growing in God's grace, that will change us in our hearts. We have the capacity have a heart that looks like Paul's and it says, I care about you, I love you, not what you can do for me, not what I can get from you, but because God has given me a new heart that loves faith, that loves to see others grow in the Lord. It is deeply touched when someone else shares concern for me and my need. If you have any experience of being a Christian, you'll know that this kind of rejoicing just doesn't come from anywhere. Right? The reality is that Paul here is sitting in prison. And, and you know, back in that day, unless your friends came to visit you in prison, you would starve. And so there's a kind of growth and maturing that must happen in Paul's life. And he introduces it for us here. Look with me in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking in need. By the way, this doesn't mean that Paul refuses to say that he has a need, but you know, he clearly talks about being in trouble. If you just jump a few verses ahead, verse 14, this trouble. Uh, back in chapter 2, you know, he speaks about um, Epaphroditus coming to fulfill what was lacking their service to him. So Paul was in need, but he didn't want them to misunderstand from the previous verse that he was now rejoicing somehow because he could finally eat again. We see that Paul could rejoice under any and every circumstance including the delay of their aid, because being a disciple of Christ, he had to learn something, something deep and profound, something rare and precious. In any and every circumstance, Paul could rejoice and rejoice here because he learned contentment. Are you encouraged by this? Or maybe where it's a little too early um, to feel that way, but I hope that you are. I am merely at the thought of this. 
you know, because I want to be honest with you, I struggle with being discontent in life. If you know anything about my life, um, it is a story of having great plans for my life and then God gently sweeping them aside and giving me his plans. You know, when I was a college student at Georgia Tech going to college, going to college. I never had a single thought about being a pastor. I wanted to be a lawyer. My parents were very happy with that. They were Chinese immigrants' parents. They left everything in Taiwan to come here for the American dream. And then here I stand before you today as a minister of the gospel. I mean, can you imagine the disappointment on my parents' faces when I told them, Mom and Dad, I actually don't want to go to law school anymore. I want to go to seminary. There was tears, there was shouting, there was a lot of anger in that house. And then finally, when it came to accept God's plans for me to be a pastor, I didn't have a clue what Presbyterianism is or the PCA, uh, and yet here I am today as a PCA pastor. And, and I ask myself sometimes, how in the world did I get here? You know, you understand as a Chinese immigrant and uh, growing up in a Chinese church, the PCA can be very, very different than that. I can go on. I can tell you about uh, how I wanted to leave Atlanta, and yet I've been there for the last 25 plus years. Uh, I could tell you about um, wanting to be married by a certain point in my life, certainly before I became a pastor, um, and yet the Lord has called me to be single in this season of life. Um, I can say nothing else when I look at my life that it was God's plan and God's hand that brought me here, and I've had to struggle and learn to be content in his plans for my life. So why am I encouraged, and why should you, uh, why would I hope that you would as well? Um, but there's a temptation, I mean, the, because the temptation of a passage like this is that you would write it off. Because that's good for you, Paul. You know, you're a super apostle. You've got all these gifts. You've got this crazy conversion story. You've got so much that I don't have. But listen, if what Paul says here is true, that he had learned contentment, that he had learned, he had to grow in it, that it was a process. It wasn't just that one day he woke up and God just downloaded into his brain contentment. He had to learn contentment. And so I hope that you wouldn't tune out here, or that you continue to look on and listen, because what Paul says here is true, then by this secret that he shares with us, then all of us, all of us that are in Christ, can learn contentment. So after um, talking about the secret, Paul explains what, what circumstances he had to learn this in. He says, I learned how to be brought low. Yeah, as, as low as being sprawled out on his dirty prison cell. He says he knows how to abound. And then he reiterates that point. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And the roller coaster that is the uh, fascinating life of the Apostle Paul, one moment being caught up to the third heaven, right? It says that in 2 Corinthians 12. Another moment being thrown into a dark, cold prison cell. Paul had to learn contentment, having plenty to eat and having nothing to eat. In joy and pain, Paul could face, face anything today with contentment. How is this so? 
I would like for you to turn or scroll in your Bibles with me as we look through just, I think this is hinted at throughout this letter of Philippians. Just real quick, chapter 1, Paul talks about he could rejoice even in affliction. He talks about how when he was in prison, God actually used that so that more people in prison could hear the gospel. And then you read that Paul has enemies. He had rivals. And they were trying to put salt on the wound for Paul. But he says, it's okay. You know, that made me happy. The advancement of the gospel, that more people heard the gospel, that made Paul happy. And then you see that in chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, that Jesus Christ would be honored by, life as de- by his life or death, to live as Christ, and to die as gain. If I would remain as fruitful labor for me, so I, I, will, I will, for your progress and joy and faith. And then in the Song of Christ, the Carmen of Christi in Philippians 2, just the very next uh, chapter, talks about Christ humbling himself, taking the form of man, crucified on the cross. And then after that, after, after showing them example of Christ, he says to them, do, do this without grumbling or disputing. Be content. Talks about himself that if I, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And I could go on and talk about the, how he speaks of the enemies of the cross in chapter 3. Talks about how God is their belly. Their minds are set on earthly things. But he says, for them, our minds, you're citizens of heaven, our minds are set on heavenly things. God will transform our lowly bodies to be like Christ's glorious body. And we see here in his whole letter, there's a thread that Paul has drawn throughout of his own life and suffering and being able to rejoice in that before then he then turns and, and calls them to that. We've been see, we, we see that Paul's able to rejoice in unspeakable situations and unbearable suffering here in this book, despairing of even life itself sometimes. Have you ever felt that way? Despairing of even life itself? Well, Paul, as a Christian, knew what that's like. And that is one of the most difficult things in life, whether you are a Christian or not. Pain. The problem of pain. History is littered with examples of people that have left the faith because of suffering and poverty. You know, you question whether God is real. And if he is real, why does he allow such poverty and suffering and then the pernicious thought, it enters your mind that if he is real and he does care about us, maybe he doesn't care about me. Or maybe you're tempted like Eve in the garden to think that somehow God was not good. Maybe he was holding, holding back from us the very best thing for us. And then in our discontentment while we face hardship, we compare ourselves to others and we only see what we don't have and that we don't have what we want. And we grumble and we complain against God. And we miss sight of who God is and what he's given us. But learning to be content with God, with, with God in the midst of trial is how God grows us. Or you, you go to anybody that you look up to and you ask him. You go study any character in, in the Bible. Hardly anybody grew in faith because life was great and just right. 
No, they went through the fires of testing. God's school of suffering, where he refines our faith to focus on him. You know, Paul says this elsewhere in Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God uses suffering in our lives to sanctify us, to show us how sinful we are, to show us how sweet that Jesus is and how much we need him. Because it's like like what the pastor uh, Thomas Watson said, unless sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. You know, there's a hymn that shows this perfectly. Have you heard of it? It's, it's, uh, it's called, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. It's by John New- Newton. He wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. And he starts out this hymn by the very same things that we all pray for as Christians. It says, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, for pray these things. And he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way that it almost drove me to despair. I hoped in some favored hour that once he answered my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Cross all affairs, designs I schemed, all my great plans for my life. Blasted my gourds, and he laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will, you, will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answer I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. What pain are you going through right now? What trials are in your home? And how is that part of God's plan for your life? You can, you know this right now, that we're going through right now, you you know that you cannot go through this alone. And Paul now gives a secret that that you, you are not alone in your suffering. It is not meaningless or purposeless. So finally, after learning And knowing, Paul says, I can do all things through him, which is Christ, who strengthens me. And that is the secret. That is the secret for Paul's contentment. It's Christ. I can in any and every circumstance be content because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how you feel about that big reveal, that secret you know, maybe you're disappointed. You know, you've grown up in church. 
You go to church every Sunday, grew up a Christian, a Christian home. Maybe you're hoping for something else. It was just Jesus. Give me something else. I struggle being discontent. Paul has no greater secret to give to you. I'm like what, five foot nine on a good day, five foot ten? I'm not athletic. I can quote this verse all I want. I can write it on my, on my basketball shoes. I can drink a bunch of protein shakes. I am not dunking a basketball in a hoop. <laughs> Paul's saying in the midst of suffering, talking about learning contentment. But you see, there's something here that's very, very different than what, what's going on in that culture at the time. First century uh, Greek Stoicism. And the funny thing is that they value contentment too. Except theirs... Uh, was, it was actually one of the highest virtues in that culture. It was actually very, very different than what Paul's speaking of here. It, it, was, a, it was a contentment of indifference. Um, it was a, a bit about being self-sufficient and not needing anything or anyone else. Don't, don't hurt. Don't feel. Don't let things affect you. It was about being self-sufficient as something that you can find in yourself to be content, something somewhere inside. But what Paul is speaking here this morning is amazing. It is otherworldly because in light of that culture, it's not about finding that in you, that strength, that contentment. It had to be rooted and grounded in something else, someone else, and it's found in Christ. Paul can say, I can be content. I can persevere no matter what happens, not in my external circumstances, not in whether your, your package got to me today or not, and not whether I get whatever I want in life. I can be content, not because I am so self-sufficient in and of myself, but because of my Christ is sufficient. He is enough, and he gives me strength. And so after learning and knowing, Paul says, I can do such things. I can do all things, including being content today in this prison cell because of Christ who strengthens me. Or as Sinclair Ferguson puts it, for Paul, contentment is not found in creating our own security, but by abandoning our security to Jesus Christ. That speaks to us, doesn't it? Of all the things that we're discontent about in our lives, are we content with Jesus? Brothers and sisters, the, the wonderful and hopeful thing that I hope that you would get from this passage today is that contentment is possible. It is possible to glorify Christ today, to make it to the end. It is possible to glorify him today, even when it hurts because God has made it so that Jesus Christ is enough for our souls and gives us strength to persevere in today's trials. That Jesus Christ can fill us with joy and bring us contentment, even in the midst of great affliction, great hunger, great need. Because Jesus is truly enough for our souls. And that this is all possible because our Lord Christ, he died on the cross for our sins. He died for all the ways that we've been discontent at God and how we have grumbled and how we have complained and all the sin that has led us into. You, you ask yourself, what kind of sins have I gotten myself into 
and because of my discontentment with God and what he's given me. Yet this Christ, for the joy that was set before him, went forth and he endured the cross. All of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt heaped upon him, our suffering and our, our, our grumbling and complaining, he suffered for it on the cross. And he did so willingly so that those of us that were not happy with God, we would, we would find in him our all and all. And, then he, and God raised him from the dead so that no matter how close to death that we feel, no matter how, how close to death that we feel, the end of your life that you feel today, there is a God who cares about us, who holds us, who loves us, and he will never let us go. There is a living Christ who is living and interceding for us right now, strengthening us, weaning us away from our idols so that we can have our joy and contentment and just to know how rich and full and free that we are in Jesus. And we can find our joy, our contentment in him. No matter what comes when we leave church today. So I ask you this morning, have you learned this contentment? Are you content with Christ? If not, pray to him. He is ready to hear you now. Turn to him and say, Lord, I'm struggling. I know that you are great and you're all sufficient, but I am weak in faith. Help me to see how glorious, how satisfying, how fulfilling that you are. Strengthen me, Lord, to do your will today. You know, God promises us that if you come to him, if you turn to him, you lean upon him, resting upon him, falling upon him, he promises to be your strength. He is strength enough for today and even enough strength enough for tomorrow, strength enough for all of God's church. And he has strength like no other. The Apostle Paul, he discovered this strength in prison, shackles and chains. Where will you discover this strength? How will you discover it in your life? Any, draw it up. Any and every circumstance that you're in, being brought low, being in need, being in want, have we learned to be content in Christ? So I close by asking this. Is God your strength? Is Christ your strength? Is he your hope? Can you say from your heart with Christ? Oh, the, the surpassing worth of Christ. I am so content with him. Or like the famous hymn that goes, it is well with my soul. You know, can we say that to ourselves in all honesty and truth? Though all manner of trials would come, though Satan would strike me, though my body is decaying, though my world's falling apart, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his blood for my soul. And because that is true and Christ is true and he is mine, it is well. It is well. It is indeed well with my soul. No one is born with that. No one is born with that. It's learned. It's learned in the school of suffering, from sorrow, in the academy of grieving, if you will, and Paul has given us a secret today. It's found in the gospel. 
It's found in Jesus. And we have the best of teachers and tutors. He willingly gives himself to you now. We receive him by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, we thank you for Christ. We come before you, we say, Lord, we struggle today with being content in Christ. Would you turn our, fix our eyes upon him? Would you open